0: Welcome back to Curious Combinations and Everything's Unoriginal Podcast. I'm AF Tanith, and today I'm covering Vampire Night, Season 2, Episodes 7, 8, and 9. Now, when I first started this show, I found the whole thing very charming. It was so painfully 2008 in such an amusing fashion. It was a delightful nostalgia for me. But that was Season 1, and this is Season 2. And oh boy, has season two been an absolute slog. I actually ended up taking a few days off at around the halfway point of the season, and I wasn't sure what was happening. Trying to get myself in the headspace to watch the show, which involves recording my reactions and writing the podcast script, it was like pulling teeth, and I couldn't figure out what was wrong. Why was I suddenly procrastinating? What was going on in my life that was making me reluctant to get back to work on such an enjoyable project? but it turned out that there wasn't any outside force bumming me out and distracting me from getting back into a show that I was enjoying. I finally put my finger on it yesterday when I made up my mind to jump back into Season 2 this morning. I wasn't enjoying Season 2. I was coasting on my enjoyment of Season 1, feeling very comfortable in my assessment of the show as something that I enjoyed, and so I had not fully processed that no, Vampire Night Guilty was not turning out to be something that I was enjoying at all. Because like I said, this season so far has been a slog. We're not really building the world much anymore, we're not really fleshing out background characters either. Hell, episode 5 had a whole scene that was just a repeat of a season 1 scene for no reason other than fan service. The plot of the season so far has been tangled up in Yuki's relationship drama, which is nothing resembling interesting, and every member of the love triangle is worse than the last, and the one actually interesting character in the whole damn show hasn't actually been given anything interesting to do. It's been a whole fucking mess. Honestly, given that the first six episodes of the season are more or less just the plot treading water, I feel like Vampire Knight is genuinely just wasting my time at this point. But let's get into this, shall we? Because while episodes 7 through 9 do finally kick the plot into gear, well... It's taken so long to get here that my initial excitement for the answers has pretty much been worn down to a nub. Part of it was that I was spoiled on the big Yuki reveal, I suppose, but is there really anyone who got this far into the show without putting the puzzle pieces together about who she was? And it's not like the show is doing anything interesting with Yuki's secret identity, not so far at least, but I'm getting ahead of myself. For the millionth fucking time, we find Yuki tossing and turning in bed having vague memories of her dead mom. And then, we're on to Shiki, for one of the only interesting scenes in this whole set of episodes. And it's over before you can even blink. Rito, possessing Shiki, wastes no time in revealing his identity to Kaname. He confirms that he is indeed Konami's evil uncle, sort of, and that Kaname was the one who nearly killed him ten years ago. He also makes a reference to raping Shiki's mom and having intended to rape Shizuka too, so... that's fun. Kaname attacks him... But Ichijo jumps in front of Shiki to protect him, and this will be revealed as a stupid moment in retrospect, as Kaname literally could not have actually killed Rito this way. He could have killed Shiki easily, but not Rito, so why the fuck did he attack Shiki in the first place? It's obviously only here to give Ichijo and Kaname a little falling out moment, and that's just bad writing. Anyway, Rito's smug ass announces that he will be living as Shiki for now, and Konami does nothing about this. It truly doesn't make any sense, honestly. We will see later that 10 years ago he was powerful enough to, like, destroy Rito's body so completely that it took 10 years to heal, and he did it without even really lifting a finger. Like, grab Shiki and lock him up in a room somewhere or something until you can find a way to destroy Rito's body. Maybe I'm just not privy to whatever plan Konami actually has right now, but I don't know. After one and a half seasons of making it very clear that he is a chess master character, suddenly he's acting like he's powerless and has nothing up his sleeve, and I am just... bored. Like, the big bad finally showed up, and you're just gonna do nothing? Cool. So, in a brief scene of conversation between Rido and Ichiru, we get confirmation of Ichiru's motivation for working with the Senate. Ichiru wants those responsible for killing Shizuka to be killed themselves. I assume that he knows Kaname is the one who killed her, not his brother, like everyone else believes. And then, Shiki shows up in Ruka's room. Because Rido is going to try to rape her. Because we're doing that now. Season 1 of this show was a bad fanfic in a very charming fashion. Season 2, however, is a bad fanfic that is not remotely charming. Anyway, Kane saves Ruka and Ichijo is forced to play mediator. He tells Kane and Ruka not to tell Konami about what just happened, and let's all give a hearty fuck you Ichijo to that. Why not tell Konami? What could it possibly hurt to tell the most powerful vampire in the world that there's a vampire trying to rape people at this school? Because, as we'll see later, Konami's refusal to warn anyone about the threat has consequences. We see at least two bodies drained dry by Shiki before the end of Episode 9. And now, we're on to the ten millionth Yuki begs Konami for answers and he ignores her scene. Each one is more insufferable than the last, but hopefully this is our final one. Because I think that if I had rolled my eyes any harder, they would have fallen the fuck out of my head. I get that the show THINKS it's building tension for its mystery and the impending reveal, but it's just not actually doing that. The answers are obvious even if you, unlike me, are not spoiled on them already. And the whole thing is just so fucking overdramatic with its sad piano music and Yuki fainting in slow motion and shit, and it's just a whole nightmare. Really, the whole show is like that at this point. There's this entire gothic choir and inexplicable snowstorm while Kaname and Shiki once again posture at one another in the woods for literally no reason and literally zero effect on the plot. And then Kaname just poofs away like fucking Batman, there one second and gone the next, and I think I'm going to get some kind of a muscle strain or something from rolling my eyes this hard. More relevant to my interests, or at least it would be if Yuki were not fifteen fucking years old, is the moment when Yuki finally kinda breaks down after the hallucinations and manipulations she's suffered. Zero comes in unexpectedly and she throws herself onto him, realizing who he is only after she's got him pinned beneath her on the floor while she straddles him with her hands around his neck and while I would like to enjoy how delightfully subby Zero gets in this moment, Yuki goes into another sad-girl-woe-is-me-I'm-such-a-bad-person rant and absolutely ruins it. Again, her being 15 is the thing that most ruins this scene for me, but Yuki being her usual pathetic self would have ruined it too had she not been, you know, a child. And then, she throws back on her fake smile and ushers him out of the room, in time for Konami to sweep in through the window like he thinks he's in a music video. Can you imagine how many AMVs this shot showed up in back on early YouTube? How many little girls were lining this shot up with their favorite lyrics from My Immortal, Animal I Have Become, or Numb? So. Yuki throws herself into Kaname's arms, and once again, the writers have chosen to draw her as if she is a two-foot-tall, eight-year-old girl, and Kaname knocks her out, picks her up, and leaves as dramatically as he physically can. And then, as the snow falls around them, he tells her that this is the last time she won't be broken. Please, go ahead, tell me more about how this man loves her. That is definitely the way people talk about someone they're in love with. And then he bites her, because it's not a vampire show unless the vampire love interest bites the main girl. And, um, well, I just want to pause to reflect on this moment. I wonder, I suppose, if this is necessary, or perhaps why this is necessary. I get it on a meta level this is fan service. I find it repulsive, sure, but I'm not the target audience, now am I? But in universe, what is this about? Something that Shiki says later implies that this was different from what he intended to do to her. He intended for her to drink his blood while still human, which would've apparently... destroyed her, maybe? Or Shiki would've been there to destroy her, or something? I don't know, it's very unclear, and it's also horrifying. After two seasons of begging Zero to bite her neck and drink her blood, Yuki panics when Kaname does it, and he covers her mouth to make sure she can't scream. It is so upsetting. But then again, so is everything about this weird damn show. And now, the scent of Yuki's blood is in the air, so all of the other vampires know what is happening. And worse, so does Zero who shows up, to thoroughly ruin what I thought was going to be a great moment. Kaname kisses his blood into his sister's mouth, and when he pulls away, he asks if she remembers who he is. And she's just about to say it before Zero shows up screaming, and so he manages to ruin what I feel would have been a hilarious go-fuck-yourself-to-the-audience-otherwise. Yes, little girl, you enjoyed that bizarrely vampiric yet chaste romantic moment? Well, fuck you. He's her brother. But as we all know, incest doesn't even slow a shipper down. Nor does the show actually want it to in this case. Because as the next episode begins, we move into flashbacks to before Yuki lost her memories. Yuki and Konami's parents are tickled pink by the thought of how much their prepubescent children are going to bone once they hit puberty, and I cannot believe this got translated into English without the incest being removed. And as far as I know, it wasn't. It genuinely wasn't removed. Neptune and Uranus got turned into cousins, but Kaname and Yuki get to stay siblings. Sure. Why the fuck not? Anyway. In the flashback, we find that Rito has arrived at Kaname's parents' house. He wants Yuki, and we discover that he has already taken one of their children for a nefarious purpose. So while Kaname goes to confront Rito, Yuki's mother pulls her aside and casts a spell on her that appears to involve... I don't know, melting into a puddle of blood or something, which somehow takes Yuki's memories and turns her temporarily human. And this is kind of the thing that pisses me off the most about this show. That is such an interesting plot beat, and yet we get no clarification or information on what the fuck is actually happening. Like, what? is this? What does this actually involve? Was there really no other way to try to protect Yuki? Wouldn't it have made more sense to try to train her up and make her more powerful these past 10 years, instead of making her some helpless, clueless human? Or do vampire children age so slowly that she would have still been physically 5 after 10 years had passed, had she still been a vampire? Because let me tell you, this would have been even more disturbing if Yuki were still textually 5 instead of just, you know acting like she's five. But Ido, bless his little heart, manages to figure out that Yuki is actually Kaname's younger sister, despite Kane's insistence that there is no current girl. And then Kaname scolds his so-called friends for not being immediately on board with the idea of him marrying his sister. And because they're all a bunch of spineless nobles, they immediately roll over. Elsewhere, Shiki reveals that he intends to use Yuki to resurrect his proper body, which brings up the question of what he wanted Yuki for before his proper body was destroyed by Konami. But before we get anything resembling an answer to that question, we find that Rima has arrived to try to rescue Shiki. Believe me, it is vastly more interesting than anything Yuki ever did in the show. Rima, unlike Yuki, is protagonist material. She's out here with her lightning powers and determination, and if you don't think she's superior to Yuki in every way possible, then I do not know what show you have been fucking watching. Because Rima has been on screen for two seconds, and she's already much more interesting than Yuki has ever been. Thank goodness Rito's attempt to kill her gets foiled by Ichijo. Throw Yuki in the fucking bin and give me a show about this girl instead. But no, we have to get back to the wet rag in question. Being turned into a vampire has apparently made her hair grow like three feet in an instant, and the less said about that, the better. And now that she's a vampire, she is thirsty as hell. Not as a euphemism, as far as I know. She's literally parched, and she lunges at Kaname to plunge her fangs into his neck and drink. He again insults her, talking about how he has, quote, pulled her back into this repulsive curse, and then tells her that he's, quote, longed for this day. Pick a lane, you absolute creep. But just as with Zero, drinking Kaname's blood has passed to Yuki a memory. Based off what we learn later, I believe that what we must be looking at here is whatever ritual killed Yuki's real older sibling and reawakened Konami. There's Rito, and there's chains, and there's this metal thing that kinda looks reminiscent of the coffin in which Rito himself is currently being kept, and I think that what we're meant to understand is that this flashback is Konami's first memory of his new life as Yuki's fake brother, as opposed to what he actually is, which is apparently her ancestor, I guess? or, like, her ancestor's brother, or something? But then Yuki, for the very first time, says something that I actually agree with. She says there's something wrong with her, as she has spent the last ten years in love with her older brother. Kyu Konami literally asking her, so what, and guilting her over the idea of, quote, leaving him alone again. I demand to see this man dead by the end of this show, Like, I will begrudgingly take a heroic sacrifice at this point, despite the fact that he is nothing resembling a hero, but if he is still alive at the end of this series, and gods forbid if he is together with Yugi at the end of this show, I am going to be putting this down as one of the worst things I have ever seen. Season 1, I repeat, was absolutely fine. It was fun. Season 2, though? Someone sent help. So from there, Kaname winds up leaving Yuki alone because that always goes so well, and of course, Yuki is up and wandering around in no time. She heads toward the sun dorm, where Kaname has instructed the other vampires to not let any students out lest they end up crossing paths with Rito, and when she reaches Zero's bedroom door, Zero pulls the bloody rose gun on her. And as the next episode opens, he makes it clear that he very much does intend to kill her for what she has supposedly done to him, as if he is at all fucking relevant to everything that's just been done to her. And because Yuki has no personality whatsoever, it's easy for the show to just throw her characterization away for a moment. She is, when responding to Zero, a whole other person. Even her inflection is totally different. She tells him that he's right, and that she is now only the vampire who consumed the human that she was. It is absolute fanfic edgelord bullshit that makes zero sense. Either this is Yuki telling him what he needs to hear in order to get him to kill her, in which case I call bullshit because she is not that good an actress, or it's Yugi genuinely becoming an entirely different person in this moment, in which case I call bullshit because that might be the worst writing I've ever seen. I'm about to pull my hair out at this point. What the hell has happened to this show? How is it possible for last season to have been so much fun, while this season is just so painfully agonizing? But anyway. Poor Aido is literally throwing himself at Yuki's feet now that he actually knows who she is, putting her shoes on for her while she cries prettily and morosely reflects upon being expected to suppress her emotions. Again, Yuki has just had a whole personality transplant, and this personality is not any better than the last one. This show is a mess and a half at this point. And at Rido's casket, Ichiru watches for something to happen and then something does. Konami arrives and begins monologuing about twins. He compares vanishing twin syndrome to vampirism, based, of course, upon the IRL misconception about vanishing twin syndrome being caused by one stronger twin, quote, eating the other. In reality, it's that one twin gets miscarried, usually because there's a defect in the vanished twin, and it happens in up to 30% of all multifetal pregnancies. According to Ichiro, though, Shizuka had told him that it was a, quote, "...punishment befitting of hunters because the ancestor of us hunters ate one of the original vampires." To which I say, what the fuck? One of the hunters ate a vampire? They ate them? Like they cooked and ate his flesh? Or... What on earth does this mean? Why are we focusing on a love story when there's mythical cannibalism happening in the background? Why must this show insist upon dialing in on the least interesting elements and squandering everything that might actually make for a good story? But… To wrap it up, Kaname taunts Ichiru about Zero not devouring him in the womb and… well, here's hoping that this whole exchange isn't foreshadowing. I don't think Ichiru is, like, the greatest guy in the world or anything, but if he ends up getting drained dry by Zero, I might have to fight someone? I don't know who! But almost certainly someone. But, outside, Yagari has returned. He hasn't been gone long, and he was never very useful, but shit certainly fell apart without him here, didn't it? But he's back now, and he's got orders from the Hunter Society to kill Zero. Cross, though, stands against him. He's not going to let anyone hurt his son. And yes, here he calls Zero his son. It's very touching, except that it cements the reality of Yuki's two love interests both being her brothers. And it's also very heart wrenching because Cross and Yukari are fighting, and they are the closest thing I have to a genuine ship in this show but they're also not really going to fight each other anyway because Yugari is a secret softie or whatever, and that's really heartwarming, and I just cannot believe that these two aren't a bigger deal in the fandom. They are a perfect slash ship. Do you guys not like them because they're dads? Do you not like them because they're middle-aged? Broaden your minds, children. Broaden your minds. But, then Zero's dumbass shows up. Despite the fact that Konami just fed him more fucking blood like literally yesterday, Zero is turning into a level E all over again. It is just pure insanity at this point. The show is just throwing everything at the wall and hoping no one notices that there is no method to this madness anymore. And so Zero's emo ass tosses Yugari the bloody rose gun and demands that Yugari shoots him. And we just established that Yugari is a fucking softie and kind of Zero's stepdad, so of course he's not gonna do that shit. And then we're back to Konami. The audience is misled for a moment into thinking that he's attacking Rito, but he's not. He's giving Rito his blood in one of the worst moments of insane troll logic that I have ever seen. It's to keep Yuki safe, sure, but it also makes Rito more powerful, and Konami, as far as we know, has no way to properly fight him yet. No way to kill him, at least. Konami is far and away the most powerful vampire in the world, but he can't kill Rito. And so he decides to help Rito resurrect himself? Because of reasons? Here's hoping he actually does have a plan, because if Captain Chessmaster over here suddenly doesn't have a fucking plan, I am out. The next episode of coverage will just be incoherent pterodactyl noises. That'll be it. I will just wordlessly shriek into a microphone for an hour and a half, and then go. But back in the past, Rito confronts his brother, Haruka. Haruka takes out Rito's horde of lackeys pretty easily, and he's on the verge of killing Rito when Rito chucks a hunter sword at Haruka that strikes him in the heart. Kaname shows up to intervene at that point, but he can't save his father. Nor can he stab Rito like he wants to. He finds, to his horror, that his arm literally will not allow him to kill him but he can apparently EXPLODE the bastard, or something? He definitely hits him with some kind of a shockwave or something like that, and then Rito's not there anymore and had to spend 10 years recovering, so I guess all I'm saying is that this guy better have a good plan because otherwise it seems like instead of helping him recover, Konami should've just tracked him down once every 10 years and exploded the fucker again. It won't kill him, I suppose, not permanently, but I'm pretty sure it'll keep him fucking busy. But then we get our reveal. When Rito kidnapped the Curran firstborn, that child was not Kaname. No, that child was somehow used to reawaken Kaname, the quote, progenitor of the Kurans," and bind him to Rito's will. And elsewhere, Ichio is conveniently explaining his plan to the audience. He goes on about how he's going to use Rito to supplant Kaname as the head of the Kurans and use Rito to further empower the Senate, and, um... Quick question, is this an anti-democracy show? Yuki and Kaname would be like King and Queen Vampire if not for their ancestors stepping down and creating some semblance of a democracy, and now we get concrete proof that that democracy is villainous? Are we doing anti-democracy pro-monarchy young adult fiction now? Can we not? But the scene gives us confirmation of the Hunter Society president being involved. The guy's hanging out with Ichio, plotting evilly. And let me just take a second to point out how shitty it is that there is one gender non-conforming person in this show, and he is not only a villain, he is a traitor pretending to be on the side of the good guys. So we're doing anti-democracy, pro-monarchy, pro-incest, and anti-queerness. What a fun, fun show. And then... As our final shot of the episode, we find Zero locked up once again by Cross and Yukari, this time left alone with the Bloody Rose Gun and his thoughts. He has a line about Yuki and Kaname both pulsing deep inside him, and on that note of wonderful innuendo, the episode ends. And honestly, I am just so eager for this whole thing to be done. Though I am going to be starting Castlevania right after this, So, um, here's hoping that's going to be better. Otherwise, I may actually die of a vampire overdose. So, um, wish me good luck. Now, obviously... I will have one more episode of coverage of Vampire Night, and I must admit right up front that I do not currently expect that episode to be any more glowing than this episode has been. I am just looking forward to getting this show over as quickly as possible, if I'm being honest. I'm simply not enjoying the show at this point. Sure, I still do look at season one a bit fondly, but even those warm feelings are starting to pretty rapidly cool off at this point given how disappointed and frustrated I am with season two. There's just not really anything in this story that appeals to me anymore. Yuki is an atrocious protagonist, Zero and Konami are both toxic love interests to varying degrees, and I am consistently disappointed by how much interesting worldbuilding is languishing completely neglected in the background of this story. As for the villain, I don't even really understand what the hell his motivation is at this point, nor has the show really convinced me to care about it, and neither he nor what he's doing is especially interesting right now. Nothing interesting is really happening, period. The closest thing we had to anything interesting this season was the opening of episode 7, when it looked like we were about to have an interesting confrontation. Except then we didn't. And then, I suppose, there's that fight that Rima got to have. She proved herself in that scene to be a far more interesting potential protagonist than Yuki, that's for sure. Rima, as we approach the end of this show, is far and away the most interesting female character that we've got. Yuki is awful, her mother didn't have a personality at all, Maria has completely vanished, Ruka is virtually nothing right now, and Yuki is barely there. Everyone else female is an unnamed member of a shrieking horde of fangirls, and, I don't know, this show is clearly aimed at girls and yet doesn't have any truly interesting girl characters, and so I'm kind of stuck on this scene of Reema because I guess it's the closest thing I can see here to what could have been. At this point in the show, I am honestly just shocked that people enjoyed it as much as they did, and I find myself wondering if perhaps the enjoyment of this show is in the same vein as people's enjoyment of the Harry Potter films. Because brace yourselves. The Harry Potter movies are bad movies. Period. They fucking blew. But they were adapting books that were beloved and pretty fun and well-structured, and so the books kind of helped fill in the gaps of the movies to create a fun viewing experience. And maybe that's what's happening here. Maybe to enjoy the Vampire Knight anime, you have to know the Vampire Knight manga. Maybe the manga is delightful and beloved and the show is banking on that love to earn love for itself. But as someone who hasn't read the manga and has only seen the show, this anime blows. I'm disappointed. I'm dismayed. I am shocked that anyone could ever with a straight face claim that this anime is in any way, shape, or form better than Twilight. It's practically the same damn story. Maybe I'm about to reignite an old fandom war here, but I'm not joking in the slightest. These stories aren't identical, no, but they have the exact same list of glaring flaws. All of the finer details are very, very different, yes, but it's not like the finer details of this story are interesting enough to catapult it to higher heights. At the end of the day, I think I'm settling into the opinion that this is kind of a lame story that could have been really, really good, but somehow instead we got bogged down by a love triangle with a deeply boring protagonist and two toxic love interests, and it feels like an entire world has been squandered. The Vampire Knight universe is one that I feel many fascinating stories could have been told in. And yet the writer, whoever she is, managed to tell the least interesting story possible, which again is what many anti- and quasi-fans of Twilight claim is their biggest complaint about Twilight itself. I'm honestly very tickled by how much this is just the exact same thing all over again. Again, what the hell was in the water in the mid-to-late 2000s? But anyway. With all of that said, my coverage of Vampire Night will luckily be wrapping up in one week's time. I'm actually going to be watching the final four episodes of this show after I finish recording this podcast episode, so keep your fingers crossed for my ongoing Saturday. Should I survive this viewing experience, I am going to be moving on to Castlevania next, and beyond that, my schedule is more or less empty. If you're interested in helping me choose what it is that I'm going to be watching next, you should know that I have relevant polls up on my Patreon, available to all patrons pledging at the $1 tier or higher. $5 and up patrons will also get access to all of my reaction videos, in case you're interested in that kind of a thing. Other than that, I would appreciate if you could consider leaving a rating or a review for this podcast wherever it is possible to do so, and I hope that you will join me again next week for my final episode of Vampire Night coverage. And as always, thank you so much for listening.